0: Amen. Please remain standing and hear the words of our God from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. I'll begin in verse 27. These are the words of God. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also, and from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if, you love those, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back." but love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you, good measure Pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. (laughs) These are the words of God. Let's ask his blessing. Our great Father in heaven, Father of the Word, the Word made flesh who dwelt among us, dwell among us now in these words, your words, and make them true to us, not simply true in the abstract. Feed us, nourish us, change us, and give us the hope of your gospel through Jesus Christ and by the power of your Holy Spirit and amen. amen. So we're going to take a few weeks and do a short family series as we've been doing actually the last couple of years in the month of February and March. Um, and so I'm going, to, I'm going to move away a little bit from some, uh, some of the sermons that we've done before on the kind of theology and meaning of marriage and the purpose and God's institution, and hopefully just hit some practicals some of the practicals about marriage, it is often far easier to improve your marriage than you realize. And I want to say that straight up because there are lots of times where people feel very stuck in their marriage relationship. And I think that this word and in, uh, in many other places of the scriptures, you can find that if, if we're obedient to the Lord, if, in fact, if just you are obedient to the Lord, it's often far easier to improve your marriage than you realize. There are two of you in that relationship, and we always think of ourselves first, and so we are normally thinking of how we could receive refreshment and renewal in our marriage ex- experience. Uh, several years ago, I did a, um, a marriage series, uh, a, a, a book study in, um, at our home, and I, I, entitled this, I, I entitled this series, Refreshing Your Marriage. And I asked the question at the beginning, um, when when I said, when you said, yeah, I want to come to this refreshing your marriage, were you thinking about you would like to have your marriage refreshed? Like, I mean, you would like to know that for you, your marriage got refreshed? Did it occur to you at all about coming here because you wanted to know how you could refresh your spouse's marriage? Almost everyone came for the first reason. And it almost didn't occur to anybody that that would be the reason that they should come that they should come to find out how they could refresh their spouse's marriage. We think of ourselves first. And and that's part of what gets us so stuck. That is part of how things get so stuck. Because if you bless your spouse, if you just bless your spouse, if you refresh his or her marriage with your words and actions, then the marriage, considering the two of you as one, improves. Considered as the two of you, As being one, your marriage just improved. You see, that's really it. We can just close in prayer right now. That's it. There's the practical. But but we'll we'll take a little time. We'll just we'll just work that a little bit. When we do this, when we do this as an outworking of God's Spirit in us. In other words, if we do this as Christians, as we do this obedient to the Lord, as we do this obedient to the Lord on a daily basis, how can I bless her? How can I bless him? If, if that is in the forefront of our mind, in the midst of our relationships, we will find, by means of the work of the Spirit, we'll find ourselves refreshed and renewed as well. And that's what this word, is, this, that's what this word here is promising. We'll find ourselves refreshed and renewed as well. And at the top of the list of feeling refreshed and renewed will be the fact that you will hear from, the, from your Father, by the Holy Spirit, you will hear from that one that you want to, you want to please more than anyone else, for that one that, whose righteousness you are seeking after to imitate, you'll hear from that one, well done, good and faithful servant. Because number one, your number one relationship, your number one sense of calling is not to your spouse. It is to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to God the Father through the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. And it is, it is your service to God that is going to bring you the greatest joy the greatest sense of peace, the greatest sense of hope. It is going to be your righteous following after Jesus, being like him, that is going to give you the most satisfaction in life. And God is glorified when you're satisfied in him. God is glorified when you find yourself satisfied in relationship to him in the midst of what, whatever relationships you have. Now, this passage you don't read this passage and go, oh, this is a passage about marriage, isn't it? You don't do that. This is, this is, this is Jesus really bringing forth the, 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 the twistings of the Old Testament law. When he's talking here in his context uh, about the enemies and those who hate you, his, actually his first uh, application in his mind as, he, as he's talking to the disciples are the Pharisees who are persecuting him, who are speaking out against him, and he's saying... We are to love them, and we learn from Jesus how to love those who hate him. And if you're not married, almost all the, all the, all, all the um, principles, all the thoughts that are going to come out of here, all those practical applications can be applied, for instance, kids, to your relationship to your sibling. I mean the one that's the real bother, the problem one. Maybe you're the problem one, so your, your brother or sister need to listen to this sermon. There are applications all abound with regard to our relationship. I'm going to be focusing some upon marriage, and, 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 and that's because marriage is so important. It's so important that we get it right. It's so important that we become couples, families, who, re, who bring forth the truth of Christ's love for his bride and declare the gospel through our marriages and through our, um, and, and through our families. Jesus begins this and he says, but I say to to you who hear, I say to you who hear. So Jesus established, he's establishing a new Israel as he preaches to this multitude. If you look back in 17 through 19, this is when he's preaching to a great multitude. They all listened to him as he taught, but he addresses them saying, I say to you who hear. Because what he is about to say sounds impossible and ludicrous to those who do not have faith to hear. To those who do not have faith, they will not be able to hear. They might listen, but they will not be able to hear. Listening is something that we do with our ears. Hearing, in the way that Christ is talking about, is something that we do with our hearts, our spirit. With our spirit. Listening is something we do with our ears, but hearing is something that has to take place by faith. By faith. Uh, in, in the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke chapter 16, um, the rich man is in Hades. He's, he's in shale. He's, he's in the place of, of torment. And he calls out to Lazarus to, to, to dip his finger in water and give him um, a taste. And, but there's this chasm between them. He can't get there. Lazarus can't get to him. And so he says, well, at least go and tell my, my, my fam- the rest of my family, my brothers, um, what they need to do so they don't end up here as well. And he says, well, they have Moses, but they didn't hear Moses. And if they won't hear Moses, then they're not going to hear the one that has come uh, in, in, to fulfill Moses. They're not, going to be, they're not going to hear, even though they might listen. Hearing is an act of faith. So here... Hear these words, hear this passage with faith in the one who's teaching you. Then the rest of this section describes how we should act towards those who hate us, those that we are in conflict with, who take advantage of us, who act as though they were our enemies or who are in fact our enemies. So you can apply these very proverbial statements that Jesus is going through and you can apply them either directly to enemies or you can apply them directly to those who are in the moment acting like your enemy. We're to love them, and we are to love them with deeds, he says. Verse 27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. That's a parallel statement. To love your enemy is to do good to those who hate you. To, to love the, 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 when Jesus is using the word to love one another, or to love your brother and sister, or to love your enemy, what, what he's talking about is not to have feeling, really good feely emotions inside of you towards that person. What he's telling you to do is to treat them lawfully from the heart. To treat them love, to, to, to do unto them as you know the Lord would have you do unto them. And to do so because, because you want to serve the Lord, first of all. Because the person's irritating you, right? If the person's irritating you, you just don't naturally want to. You don't have feelings of, ooh, I'd really love to bless this person right now, right? And, and, and so then, then we, want, we say, well, I don't really want to bless this person. So guess what? I'm not going to. Because it wouldn't be out of love. It would be, no, it, the from their heart is a, is a turning to the Lord and saying, I want to serve you and obey you, and I believe you. I believe you'll bless this. So therefore, I'm going to take certain actions. I'm going to do certain things, or I'm going to abstain from doing certain things that I shouldn't do. And that's a choice that you make. It's not a feeling that you have. In fact, most of the time, it's, it's, it's having to discipline your emotions and say, I know I feel this way, but I'm not going to do what my flesh is telling me to do. I'm going to do what I know the Lord wants me to do. So to love someone, Christ, Christ-like love, is to obey the word, is to do lawfully, treat lawfully, from the heart, the person in front of you. That's what it means to love your neighbor. Okay? So this is what Jesus says. Love, do good. love means to do good. We're to bless them, he says, and pray for them. Bless them and pray for them. And probably he's not thinking of prayers of malediction here. He's he's talking about prayers that God would bless them, that God would give to them. Bless them and pray for them, verse 28. And then with great hyperbole, Jesus instructs us that we are to be known for our sympathy towards others who will not yet hear, 29 and 30. So to him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away um, your goods, do not ask them back. Now, to, to apply this literally could get you into other sins, So you can't apply these verses absolutely, or you're going to fall into other sins. But you can apply it proverbially. You can say, what this is teaching me is I'm not looking out after my own interests first, and I need to be sympathetic to the needs or or the perceived needs that the other person has. I, I ought to be overly generous in this situation rather than grasping back. I ought to have an attitude of, can I give even more? They want this much. Can I give even more? And, of course, um, th- this is not instructing um, a wife, for instance, to receive a, a slap from her husband and turn the other cheek. That, that's not the context at all. Remove that from your mind. But proverbially, what is, what is being talked about is if you are humiliated some way or if you are, um, you are, someone has taken, in this relationship, someone has, you feel as though they've taken advantage is it possible for you to see and leverage that and even give more? And even give to them, Could see what maybe their need is that you don't see, and give even more? That's the, the attitude he's, he's calling on us to have. And so when we do that, we're, we, we become a people that act with an absurd generosity, an absurd um, style of forgiveness and long-suffering. And when we do this, we are applying the golden rule. Verse 31 and just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. You know, it's no, it's no excuse for sin to say, well, I was just really tired and tempted to um, have this outburst. Um, uh, and so I, I have an excuse. No, that's no excuse for sin. However, you think it's an excuse for your sin. You, you tend to think it's no excuse for the other person's sin, but you quickly excuse yourself for that sin. Now, with that in mind, we, we will all agree that it is no excuse for sin. But when that other person acts out in a particular way, how would you want to be treated? Do you want, would you want to be, if you're really tired and you had this little outburst, you had this little temper tantrum over here, would you want to be treated with, um, that is no excuse for your sin, you being tired? Is that the first thing that you would want to hear out of someone else's mouth? Now, maybe in some point, some point, that would be a good thing. But maybe, maybe there would be a better way that you would particularly like to receive um, in, input. Maybe a sympathetic ear for a moment. Um, maybe, m- maybe you'll get to the point where there's going to be an actual act of confession of sin and, and forgiveness. But how would you like to be treated in that moment? To immediately have, well, let me open the Bible to you for a minute just right here and show you how you are sinning. Well, thank you very much, dear. I really help, that really helps at the moment. This is the kind of thing that, that we have to we have to become like Jesus, who not only is quick to forgive but is patient to wait to forgive. How many times have you sinned and made excuses before god and and and, and finally, you come to a conviction of your sin, and you, and you go to the Lord, and you, you're, you're like the prodigal son. I, I've been such a jerk. I don't even deserve to come before you. I can't believe I've been acting this way. I can't believe I've, I've held on to my excuses for so long. Would you, would you, can I just be your servant? And he turns to you and says, servant? You're my son. Let's have a party. You just ask for forgiveness. Let's go. That's how your father forgives. That's how quickly your father forgives. That's how open-handedly your father forgives. That's how he gives mercy. So it's no, and he goes on here in verses 32 through 34, it's no skin off of you if you love those who love you. Where the rubber meets the road is how you act towards those who refuse to do so. So to bless, um, you're to bless your spouse when, when it feels good. He's not saying don't do that. He's just saying, he's saying everybody does that. That's, that. that's not what I'm talking about. He's talking, he's talking about when you are to bless in an incredibly spirit-empowered way that people who don't know me can't do. They won't do. Okay, that's what I want. I want you to be so filled with me, so imitated of me, that you act like me in the way that you bless when you have no desire to bless, when you have no reason to bless other than the fact that Jesus said to do so. Okay. So he's going to say to do so, and he's going to empower us to do so, and he's going to reward us for doing so. When you do this, you will be, he says, sons of the Most High. Look at verse 35. But, but love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. When you do this over-generous, over-forgiving, Over blessing um, love, you're being like God the Father, who is merciful to the kind, and he is merciful as well to the evil. When we act like our Father in these relationships, we will be merciful like him. Therefore, be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. And then we come to the verse that all the non Christians know and quote all the time. Verse 37. You go to non Christian school, and this is the first verse that you're required to memorize. Um, just the first two words Judge not. Yeah, yeah I know the Bible. I know like, my favorite Bible verse. Judge not. What are you doing judging me? What are you doing calling my sin sin? What are you doing uh, uh, evaluating me? And judge not. Don't, don't you know your Bible, Christian? Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Let's consider the context. Our judgment upon others must be in accordance with the word and be the same standards we apply to ourselves. This has to be... There's there's a... uh, balance, weights and balances, weights and measures are equally balanced. You are to be judged by the way that you are to judge by the way you are judged by the Lord, by the way you would want to be judged. In Matthew 7, parallel uh, passage, um, Matthew records, judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. It is ridiculous to think that one can apply the command, though, absolutely. You cannot tell someone to judge not without judging them. You, you, you can't tell, you can't, hey, you're judging me. Well, you're judging me for telling me that you're judging me, right? So, so first of all, you can't do it without making a judgment. Um, you can't. You cannot call someone blind, which he goes on here to say in verse 39. He says, can the blind lead the blind? You can't, you can't call somebody blind without noting to them that they're making a judgment that they're blind, or point out the speck in their eye, verse 42, the next few verses down, unless you notice and judge that they have a speck in their eye, a sin, a, a wrongdoing that you need to point out. You can't determine the quality of the fruit, verse 43, the tree is known by its fruit. Well, you can't judge a tree by its fruit unless you judge the tree. So he's not talking about an absolute, you may not judge, um, the point is that we must be qualified to judge, and we must judge in qualified ways. I think Galatians 6.1 makes this very clear. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. And this is what spouses are for. This, this is what spouses are for. One of the things that we can do to one another is lovingly point out that speck in their eye. One of the things we can do gently is rebuke them for, for actions or for words that as a, as a brother or sister in Christ, you can say to them, we can't act that way. You know we can't act that way. Uh, but Galatians 6.1, so Galatians 6.1 tells us to judge. It says, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, You who are spiritual, um, restore such a one. Well, in order to restore that person, you're going to have to judge them. You're going to to say, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is not honoring to God. What you're doing is not what the Lord would want. But he says, when you do so, first of all, you must do so in a spirit of gentleness, not in a sense of getting back or getting even, not as a sense of trying to be over the other person, but he says, he says to, to do it in a spirit of gentleness, and he, then he warns you, warns us, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Considering yourself. Am I qualified? Am I qualified? Or have I kind of lost my spiritual um, qualification because I'm really ticked? Um, and, and, I, and I've kind of taken an arrogant, I would never do such a thing attitude. I would never displease the Lord like you're displeasing the Lord. I would never displease the Lord as, 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 as deeply as you are at this very moment. When you do that, when you act out in that kind of way, um, you, you are not, uh, you're not in a spirit of gentleness. You're not qualified to do so. But it, but but the fact is we're supposed to be. That's going that takes place. For instance, in the in the uh, in the story about we have to take the uh, if we see our brother with a speck in his eye, he doesn't say. But you have a plank in your eye, so leave them alone. He says. But you haven't noticed the plank in your eye. They got a little sliver in their eye. There's a whole two by four sticking out of yours. You'd be a hypocrite to go and and, and tell them they got to take care of that lousy little speck in their eye. No, he says take the plank out of their eye, and then go and serve your brother by pointing out and helping him to get the speck out of his eye. But you gotta take, you got to take spiritual inventory first. Am I truly qualified to go and speak to this person, including my spouse, about the matter? Or there is a plank in marriages. That plank often is bitterness. It is often of, um, I refuse to do thus and such until he or she does thus and such first. It's those kinds of, those are the kinds of stuckness that these relationships often get in. So, many of us, when we're stuck, need to think about, with regard to ourselves, what's my plank? What is the plank I need to get out of me? It's really easy to see the teeny little speck that's really bugging you in the other person's eye. It is really easy to ignore the big fat plank that's sticking out of yours, and that's why your marriage gets stuck. That's why relationships get stuck. That's why a brother and sister won't get along. They're too worried about what the other person is doing wrong. They haven't stopped for a moment to realize, am I obedient in spirit in attitude and actions in words with the Lord? Am I right? Am I, am I full of the Spirit? Is the fruit of the Spirit coming out of me or not? So these commands apply in all kinds of different ways. All of us are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. All of us are called to love our enemies. The command to put the interests of others first is a universal responsibility. Philippians two four says, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You... you you always, you naturally love yourself. Um, get, get out of your mind, this modern psychology stuff that I can't love others till I learn to love myself. Trust me, you love yourself. You, you love yourself. You check, got that right. Um, you think about yourself first. You make sure that you are, when, when there are needs around you, it is just as natural as can be. You're built this way. Am I okay? Okay, so you have to, You have to go beyond that, he says, and you have to consider the interests of others as more important than yours. That doesn't mean that you haven't thought about your interests that you have. It means that you have set those aside or you have laid them second by faith, by obedience to the Lord, not because you feel like it, to consider the interest of the other person as more important. Why? Because God said so. That's why. Because God said so. So you consider the the interests of others more important than yourself, and of course, these should be applied in the relationship of a husband and wife, but it has to be taken further in terms of why. The relationship of a husband and a wife is the foundational relationship of all of society, and so it must begin there in the home first. And we've talked about this several times when we've talked about the principle of marriage, the theological reasons for marriage, God's reason for bringing forth this institution of marriage. Because family, a cohesive family, a cohesive family that is following after God is going to be what is going to build a godly culture. Laws and regulations are not. Getting the right person into political office will not. If there are not uh, if there is not a plethora of families, cohesive, and I would, I would say, and cohesive over generations, then we will not have the stuff of what it takes to build a Christendom, a Christendom, to rebuild Christendom, to bring back a Christian civilization. It will not happen by changing laws. It will not happen by putting leaders in place unless we have families that know how to love one another, that know how to bless one another that know how to consider one another more important than others. And so I I hope you see how this fits into kind of all family relationships. But at its core, the husband and wife, they set the pace. They set the pace for this. Your marriage, as I've said in other times, your marriage is not about you. Your marriage is not fundamentally about you. Your marriage is fundamentally about bringing glory to your Lord to your God, for the purpose of being used by him to bring the gospel and all of the details of the gospel spread out into your family and beyond into your community through the gospel proclaimed through your marriage and through your words. That's the purpose of your marriage, to take dominion of the world, to take dominion of the world in the name of Jesus Christ in a particular way. When that leaves your mind, you get stuck also. Because you start thinking about your marriage is fundamentally about you and things aren't going very well for you. And so I, I need to just kind of sit here and wait, be a toad on a log somewhere until someone changes me. And, and what has, what's happened is you just become more and more self-centered. Even though you might have real, real concerns, real offenses that have been given to you, you become all self-centered about those offenses. Rather than, rather than thinking about what, why has the Lord put me in this position and how could I, first of all, deal with me and bless the other person. If as soon as I do that, if I bring blessing to this relationship, then as one, we're already better. So, the, the love in a home, or the lack thereof, lack thereof, has a profound and potent effect upon the surrounding culture. But this is the very place that Christians are often t- tempted to think that they do not have to apply these commands. Like the Pharisees, they're more concerned with externals. How do I look out there? Then they are concerned about how do I look in here, right here, in front of my wife, in front of my husband, in front of my kids. We are far more careful to hold our tongue out there than we are to hold our tongue in the house. So what happens is we think, we think for some reasons at home, we think we have the right to be rude or thoughtless or bitter or angry or demanding, and nobody thinks that we're that kind of person outside our home. Happens over and over and over again. And the excuse often given is that the other one is not obeying the golden rule. She's not obeying the golden rule. The other one is refusing to listen to God. The other one is acting like the enemy. She's acting like an enemy. He's acting like my enemy. Well, what does the word say to do? Love your enemy and do good to them. Okay, you've you've correctly identified that person as an enemy or like an enemy. Well, good for you. Now, what does God say to do? Love them. Bless them. Pray for them. Give to them. Be overly generous. Be overly forgiving. Be overly, uh, consider their interests more important than yours. Good. I'm glad you figured out that they're an enemy. And by the way, you give me this list of reasons why they are so enemy-like, and I agree with you. They're very enemy-like. Now, what does God say to do? Go love them. Go be overly generous. Forgive. Be ready to Forgive. Bless. Well, maybe they're not such an enemy after all, you say. (laughs) The one who hears, the one who hears this will see that this passage applies immediately in their home and in their immediate relationship first. Do you want refreshment, renewal, revival in your marriage? If you want that, then give it then give it, and especially give it in the times where it is obvious that your spouse needs it. Read through this passage again, and read through this passage again with your spouse in mind, and see if you don't see all kinds of applications. But I say to you, love your husband, love your wife, and do good to the one who's acting like he hates you. Bless him, bless her who is cursing you, and pray for him, pray for for her who's spitefully using you. Do you see? God's telling you exactly what to do in such situations. What do I do if he's acting like an enemy? What do I do if she's speaking in a vile way towards me? What do I do if he is spiteful? What if she humiliates me? I think the metaphor of striking your cheek is referring to this humiliation. What if he wants more? What credit is to you if you act this way only if she is being nice or only if he is loving you first? Can you give without expecting anything in return? so that you can be just like your heavenly father who is kind to the unthankful and evil are you known in your home in your la- in relationship towards your spouse as merciful would he or she describe you as merciful notice what it is that stifles the experience of your own refreshment and renewal you're judging as you would not want to be judged You're condemning in a way that would condemn you. You're refusing to forgive in a way that would leave you unforgiven before the living God. When you feel like your marriage is stuck, when you feel like your marriage is stuck, look for the hypocrisy. Look for the bitterness. Look for the unforgiving spirit. Look for the lack of refreshment being given. But look in the mirror first. Look for the plank not his or her sliver, uh, just little sliver there. Verse 38, then, God makes a bet with you. Verse 38, God makes a bet with you. Give, which is a summary of all the previous verses. Give. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So the first question, though, is this. Are you in Christ? Are you right in Christ? Have you called upon him as your only source of salvation? You're standing on nothing else but his good and gracious gift, his amazing grace that is ours. First of all, that. Secondly, are you clean before him? Do you know? Do you know that you're clean before him? Do you know that your love is directed towards him first and to nothing else first? No idols. No idols. Then, if that's the case, then the Father is making a bet with you. And the bet is this see if you can outgive him. Just try. Just try to outgive him. See if you can outbless him. See if you can bless your spouse faster than he can bless you, more than he can bless you. He says, give it a try. See if you can outgive him. His ladle, his ladle, brothers and sisters, is far bigger than you can imagine. One author says a godly marriage does not consist of this marital technique or that one. A godly marriage occurs when a man and a woman both die to themselves and are raised to the life that seeks the best interests of the other in all things. This is the only kind of godly marriage there is. And when we give all away in this manner, we discover that we receive all. We learn to give in order to receive, in order to be able to give some more. And we are married to someone who is doing the same thing. That's what happens in a godly marriage. And what do you think will be the result in your marriage, in your home, and in this world then? Jesus tells us about a house, a home. A marriage that's built upon a particular foundation at the end of this chapter, verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, and not do what I just got through talking to you about? Not not do those things towards your spouse. Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against the house, and it could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. What is really going to make a difference in your life, in our lives? Ultimately and eternally, it is Jesus Christ, Jesus as our rock, our foundation, where we build our home, where we build our life. But, but this follows then. It will then, of course, affect your marriage. To follow Jesus in these ways, practically, practically, in family life, husband and wife, parent and child, siblings, friends, of course, as well, and enemies. To do this practically in family life is to become like Jesus in family life. And the gospel is preached in family life and lived out in living color to those around us as they see us, as they watch. As disciples, as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the greatest opportunity and the most sober responsibility to make that happen. And so the charge, the application for you, if you're married, this morning, today, this week, is go and bless your spouse. Go and bless your spouse's marriage. In the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Almighty God and good King, you speak of only two houses here, two homes, two kinds of peoples. We try to argue that there are many, but you demand we see this in only one of two ways. Either our homes are built upon the rock of Christ, empowered by your Holy Spirit, and able to weather the storms of life, or we have foolishly built our homes upon the sands of our own ways, our own beliefs, and our own sets of ethics as to how we deal with one another. And over time, we do not weather the storms. We are destroyed, and we destroy others. God, let there be honest, let there here be honest people with themselves and with you. Be kind to give us ears to hear, and the rock of Christ, the rock that Christ is, to be heard and to be built upon. For the sake of Jesus, we pray, and amen.